let's open our Bibles to Genesis uh, chapter 25. We're reading from 19 to 34. If you are able to stand with us, let's read and by the word of God together. These are the generations of Isaac, Abram's son. Abram fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the uh, Armian of Padan Aram, and the sister of Laban and Armian to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together with in her, and she said, if, this is, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the other shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called him Esau. And afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when he bore them. When the boys grew, Esau was a skillful hunter and a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, um, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of the red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. This is the word of God. Thanks be to him. <laughs> Sorry, I had so much trouble reading that. Uh, I do speak English, um, but I just, I don't know what it was today. Yeah. Uh, we are continuing on with uh, Genesis 25. We pick up from Genesis chapter 12, where we talked about uh, the blessing that God has in store for Abram. And today we go all the way uh, to the birth of Esau and Jacob through the son of Abram, Isaac. In verse 19, it says, these are the generations of Isaac, Abram's son. Abram fathered Isaac. Now, we have to remember the blessing that was given to Abraham, that you will be a great nation. And that's also played out in the birth and the son through Isaac. Now, one thing we have to remember when God makes a promise and he blesses uh, with that promise, uh, he will see that promise till the end. What God promised doesn't end with a generation, but it continues to be fulfilled from generation to generation until that promise is actually fulfilled. So one of the things that we learn right from the start in verse 19 is we cannot give up on the promises that God has made to you, to your family, and he will see it through. In verse 20, it says, And Isaac was 40 years old, and when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, and Armenia, and Padam Ramah, the sister of Laban, Ar- Aramean, to be his wife. This is basically summarizing the story of Isaac's uh, marriage to Rebekah, and it looks forward to Jacob's future journey to Padan Aram and his dealings with Uncle Laban. In verse 21, it says, And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. Because he was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. I kind of want to camp here for a little bit 
this morning because I think there's a lot of wonderful things that we can gather uh, from this specific verse. Now, it says that Isaac interceded to the Lord for his wife. Uh, This is what a spiritual leader does for its home. Of course, the father prays for his wife. Of course, the, the father prays for his children. So he is praying to the Lord because there is something that only God can really, really unloosen. And so that's because uh, she is without a child. So he is praying to the Lord on behalf of his whole family. And Isaac is actually usually seen in the book of Genesis as a very passive figure to be imposed by his own father, wife, children, and other foreigners. But here for the first time, he is seen taking initiative for his family, for his life, especially for his wife. Now, uh, intercession, interceding, the term is usually uh, for a request back in the Old Testament times of someone who was in serious illness. And it was to say that, Lord, we, we are interceding for this illness to be ridden of. And it was more specifically with Exodus of Moses requesting God's uh, plague to be gone. For she was childish, childless. Uh, then the Lord answered, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, we don't really get a timeline as to how long he prayed. Uh, It almost seems like when he prays, everything becomes an answered prayer. But one thing we can gather is, if we do a little bit of calculation, and I'll show you if we look to verse 26. Can you turn to verse 26 with me? It says, Afterward, his brother came out with his hand, holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So how do we know that Isaac was a very persistent person, especially as it pertained to the promises that were laid in his father's heart that is now passed down to this generation? Well, if you do a little bit of math, he was married at 40, and he prayed for how long? Until he was 60. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm no mathematical genius, but based on my elementary understanding of math, he had prayed for 20 years. Church, I have a problem waiting 20 seconds, okay? Yeah, 39 years, right. And so we have have this whole uh, uh, thing where we cannot wait, even let alone 20 days, 20 weeks, 200 days, 300 days. Like for us to wait on something this long, we have to hold on to something more that keeps us persistent in our prayer. So how do we know that? It's because he had been praying all these years, and he is praying fervently, persistently, and he receives the answer in prayer in a form of twins. I mean, you must have prayed so hard that it wasn't just an answer prayer with one child, but it was actually the birth of twins. Now, I don't actually think that uh, Isaac prayed for his twins, He didn't really say, give me twins or give me triplets or quadruplets. He's just praying for this child because God laid it upon his heart to really see the promises of God being seen and realized in his own life. And God often surprises us and sometimes shows off as to what he can do, and he actually shows us what he knows the best. Now, one of the points that we take away from this verse especially is patience with Christianity. Now, we we don't actually start out by willing to wait. I don't know about you, but our natural response to waiting is often seen manifested through anger, through doubt, for being flustered or even giving up. 
and feeling deep, complex variety of emotions and waiting when it comes to even waiting for a job, waiting for a school to respond to you, waiting for a pregnancy perhaps. It isn't sinful. It isn't sinful to have a complex variety of emotions, but what we can decide is where we take those emotions to. Now, you can choose to exalt your feelings where we oftentimes act on by taking matters into our own hands. Why? Because that's the shortest form of solution. Like when you ask someone else to help solve you the solution that you have the solution to, it's almost like, why would I even ask? I can figure it out. I can do it. And I'm not going to wait for some form of response. Just imagine like you are sending a text to someone and on their iPhone iMessage, they have said they've read, okay, but they don't respond. Doesn't that bother you? Dude, you, you read it. Why are you so busy with life overall that you can't respond with a yes or a no in five seconds? Now, I'm not saying you have to, but you see the, the limited scope of how much we have in our patient's radar to wait on things. Now, you can choose to exalt it because when you choose to exalt it, you would put things, matters into your own hands. And perhaps maybe we don't even act, but we make an idol of our waiting. It's addition to our lack of patience, our resentment against God who won't give us what we want, to our impatience and even bitterness. You see, waiting on the Lord is the opposite of getting ahead of God. It isn't bailing out on God, but staying in the appointed place where he says stay. That's difficult, isn't it? For you to just say stay. I don't want you to go. I know you might not be happy there, but my heart is that you stay there until I say it is time for you to go somewhere else. Or it's going at his appointed pace while he says go. Now the pace that sometimes God has is lightning quick. Quick. It's like God's speed, but there are times where his pace is really, really slow, and you're like, can we kick it up a notch? Church, I want to say this to you. You are not at the mercy of your circumstances. I really do believe this, that God is able to transform you. You can change your situation, and he can, in fact, help you. Part of that relinquishing our control to him is the main route to experience his love and peace. No one likes to wait. I don't like to wait. We've often been, as a father and a mother and as a parent, when your kids are in the back row in their child's seat and they are screaming and yelling, and by the time they know how to say something, what are the things that they say? When are we going to get there? How long? How many stops are we making? What time should we expect? There? I mean, my, my kids ask me all those questions as well because it's not just a child that cannot wait. It's actually adults themselves. Now, to be patient is to endure discomfort without complaint, and that's hard to do. But patience is one of the Christian virtues that is so cardinal to our faith. In Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. In Colossians 3.12, put on the virtues of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, it says, be patient with them all. Part of the reason why patience is so important in the Christian lifestyle, because it's rooted in the totality of the Christian truth. 
And what is that truth? Patience begins with the affirmation that God is sovereign, that he is in the business of power, that he is still in control over all things, human history, human events, and he is working through human lives. If you think about it with eternity in the horizon, time takes on a whole new form of significance. You are not in a hurry when you think of eternity at hand. You are in a hurry when you calculate your life that I'm going to live a fruitful 80 years. You're now in a rush. That's why we have midlife crisis. You look back at your life for the last 40 years and you ask yourself, what have I actually completed? There is no midlife crisis, I, I don't think. If you have eternity in, the, in the, the periphery of where you are going, then time takes on a new significance. I don't really believe that full satisfaction will be completely, perfectly be achieved in this lifetime. Patience is one of the, the fruit of the Spirit. So patience is not just um, a haphazard way of waiting, but it's a very vibrant. It is deeply rooted in Christian absolute confidence in the sovereignty of God, God's promise to bring all things to completion in a way that most fully demonstrates His glory. Patience is a gift. It also comes to those who have been redeemed by Christ and in whom the Holy Spirit is calling forth the fruit of the Spirit. You are patient because you know that God is in control. But let's, let's admit, I mean, it's, it's hard. Okay? The, the, the hardest thing in Christian life, it's waiting. I hate waiting. Everyone hates waiting, except for maybe some who are vastly patient people. But waiting is hard. Why? Because we live in a, a life where instant gratification is realized. In a world where we can get anything at the tip of our fingertips, at a push of a button. We want what we want, and we want it now. I think one of the things that has kind of been involved in the way of American thinking is we say this. Sometimes not even fully knowing the, the, the influence that this company has. Just think about this. We are now moving away from getting into our car, going to the shopping mall, eye shopping and thinking, I wonder what prices would be over there versus here. And then we line up, we pay, we get back into our car, and then we go home. Now, it's almost like, wow, why would you want to do that? Just get online and Amazon it. Like, why would you do it? And it's like, if you are blessed that you have Amazon Prime, it's like there are some things that arrive the next day, and there are some merchandise you can actually get it within one hour time slot. Just imagine what kind of a Christian life we are breathing into our hearts when everything that we have, we can get it at a push of a button. This is what I believe is one of the truths that this verse is teaching us. A spirituality that we have received without a season of waiting will not sustain us in a time of need. A spirituality in which we receive without a season of waiting upon the Lord with joy and expectation cannot sustain us in a time of need. A generation before us, when we went to work, we started at the bottom, and through hard work, we worked up the ladder. Reaching a high-level position took time. Without patience, we will be slaves to our desires. We want it now. I think about the time when I first started ministry. I didn't go to the pastor and say, you know, I believe I deserve this position, so you should give it to me. I had to show my worth. I had to put in the time. You know, I had to wake up every single morning. I would be there, you know, faithfully with discipline. I would sometimes, like, 
some people call it brown nosing. I was just trying to be faithful, and I would receive his car. I would take the car. I would turn on the car, heat it up so that he would feel nice and toasty before he got in there. And I would just say, is there, I have some questions I want to ask. Can I steal a little bit of your time? I want to know how you do pastoral shepherding, pastoral counseling, pastoral visitations. Can I go with you? You know, I'll, in fact, I'll drive. You know, I had all these things, but now it's almost like if I want a higher position, I can't wait. I'm just going to switch companies. There's nothing wrong with it, but you see, as years have gone by to a generation now, we want things on a quicker pace. But there are certain things that we are willing to wait, aren't we? We're willing to line up for an hour and 30 minutes for food that we haven't even tasted just yet, but we just heard through other people saying that's good. I don't know if you've ever been to Austin, Texas. I have. Austin, Texas is what we call the culinary capital of the great nation, I mean, sorry, the great state of Texas. And so uh, there's this place called... um, Franklin's Barbecue. Have, has any of you been? Some of you have been. So, so it's like a very spiritual experience, right? So you're lining up, and, and you have to line up at 8 in the morning because if you get there later, it opens at 10, and there's a line as far as the eye can see. So I was like, you know what? I, I, I don't want to wait for it, but everyone is raving that this is like the best thing. They actually named this place six stars out of a five because they said this is so good, it re- It deserves a a rating on its own, that it is a very spiritual experience. You know what, though? It It was great, but not worth waiting two hours for. We're willing to wait for certain things because that's of utter importance to me. We're willing to put in the time because I want it so bad. But there are certain things that we think we deserve, we want it now. Like, do you have this where I think I, I sometimes have gone before the Lord and I said, God, I'm doing everything that you've wanted me to do. I'm praying. I'm serving. I have a, a joyful countenance about myself. And I'm really wanting to see this play out and happen. So I want it right now. And it's almost like a child that has a tantrum. When you don't get what you want, you start to become very bitter and angry at God. In my times of waiting and being patient, it's often keeping anger in check. It is shutting our mouths. It is not retaliating when treated unfairly. It suffers insults without bitterness. Patient isn't hurried or rushed. Patience is waiting for the proper time. Humans have a unique ability to make whatever we want sound reasonable. But without the understanding of the totality of the truth of God, what we do want, we Make it sound pleasurable and good that we seek after it. Patience is willing to move at God's speed rather than try to force him to move at ours. So why won't he give it to us now when he can? Now, I don't know if this analogy would work or this explanation will work, but it worked with me. Maybe right now, and I'm not giving a Christian jargon just to kind of gloss over it, but right now as I am, the things that he has promised onto my life, my family, and to my heart, I'm just not ready to fully receive it just yet. That it would be great at a later time when I have matured, when I have been in a different life stage or what have you. But right now as it stands, for him to give me that, it would be too early and I wouldn't fully utilize the gifts that he has given to me. We do that with our children, don't we? And I, and I know that some of you are not married yet. But when you, when you have a child, you're not going to give certain things 
to him or her just yet because they're just not ready, but at a later time. You're not going to hand over a key to your five-year-old. I mean, you're going to say, well, when you turn 16, and if mom and dad can afford it, we'll give you a nice car. We'll play a really, really horrible trick on you, and we'll give you a hybrid car where you can't really go that fast, you know? My parents played a really, really funny joke on me. They actually gifted me with a 1987, okay, this is not, 1987 Volvo 240DL. I think it had zero to 60 in like 20 seconds. And I kid you not, all it had was an engine and a transmission. I had no AC. AC, what's AC, right? Swedish people don't need AC. It's cold all the time, I guess, right? And even have a power window. I literally had to try to, like, not move my arm as much to make it seem like I had power windows. But I didn't, you know? But I, but I understand that if I received that when I was 14 or 16, I would have been ungrateful. But I got it when I was 22 with a little bit of their help with getting me that credit. And I appreciate it. Even though I, I, I looked at the car, it was just a, literally a box with wheels, I still appreciated that I didn't have to get on a bus and wait for it. Do you see what I mean? God has promised, and what he has promised, he's going to see it through. Let's believe that. Let's give that to him. But part of our waiting isn't impatiently waiting. It's waiting for the proper time. I've also been preparing myself, strengthening myself, maturing myself, that when I do receive it, it would be that amazing, perfect timing. Verse 22, it goes on like this. The children struggled together within her. So she did conceive after all the time that he had prayed. And she said, if this is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Now, they received a yes in their intercession, yes? Yeah, they, they were a child. They conceived. But... A lot of things that we have to understand is even when God does answer your prayers, it's not always smooth sailing from there on. We want it to be. Wouldn't it be great if the pregnancy went really well and didn't have to struggle? She didn't have to feel in pain? Like, she was in so much duress. There was this word struggle. The children struggled together. That word struggle, if you were to look in the Old Testament translation, it basically means where skulls are crushed together. That doesn't sound very nice, does it? It sounds very violent. It's not even just morning sickness, although that's really painful and that's really difficult. This is a pain that is so excruciating. She's almost thinking, I thought this was an answered prayer. You're supposed to give us a clean slate where it's free, like, like smooth sailing. I should have no pain. It should be the most joyous time. I should eat whatever I want. I should not be throwing up. I should not be in excruciating, riveting pain, but here it is. Maybe persistence in prayer is also another form of maturing that answered prayer doesn't always guarantee that everything goes well, that even after the answered prayer, more things are thrown on our lap that we still have to pray in and through all things because we are saying that God is in full control always. Verse 23, she receives this answer as she goes before the Lord and she's, she hears the Lord say this, two nations are in your womb, two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So nothing new there because they were promised that they were going to have many nations that would descend from them. The older will serve the younger. It's to point to Jacob's domination over Esau. Jacob being the younger and Esau being the older. It's almost like the Israel's domination over the nation of Edom. 
In verse 24, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. What does that mean? Based on what we see in verse 23, verse 24 is that full, full completion of what he says is true. He did say there are two nations in your womb, that they will be divided. One will be stronger than the other. And so she did receive twins. Now, the first child came out. His body was like a hairy cloak. He was all red. So they called him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter and a man of the field. How many of you resonate with Esau? Oh, he's like a skillful hunter. Really muscular probably, really good at hunting, killing, running around, jumping, and, and all the arrow and whatever he did that was manly, that's what he did. But then it says, Jacob was a quiet man. I like that. What does that mean, to be a quiet man? Probably very deep in his lot, meditational reflection, maybe very contemplative. But he liked dwelling in tents. Now, I, I think there has to be some kind of expounding on that. God has built all of us and created us to be vastly different. One is not better than the other. It's what God has given to you. Some of you are natural leaders. Some of you are naturally great at art. Some of you are great at building. Some of you are great at breaking stuff, like myself. I don't know. Like, all of you are gifted in something. Some of you are very, very athletically gifted. Some of you have a mind for business. You just see what the future needs are, and you jump on it before everyone else. And you're laughing all the way to the bank. But some of you are just good at that, right? But it's not one that is better. It's just some things are in that way, because God built us differently. But Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. What does that mean? I don't think there's anything theological there. Isaac is just a foodie. He just likes food. That's what it is. Dude, I, I like the meat. I, I like when you bring home meat, and I really, really love it. And then Rebecca loved Jacob. Maybe she was like that too. I don't know. But what it is is that they are built differently, they have different personalities, but they are still twins. Even my twins that I have in my, my house, they're vastly different, right? One is very, very independent, and one is very, very uh, attached-oriented. One is exceptionally, like, like cute. There, there's this word in, in Korean, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like it, it just melts my heart away. Like when I come home from church and, and she's like, daddy, and she, she runs and gives me a really, really uh, big squeeze, and she says, oh, daddy, you smell good. And I know I don't smell that good. I mean, I've been, I've been out all day, but it's like I almost want to say, what do you need, honey? Yeah. I mean, everyone has different things, right? Now, here, this, this is the important area that I think we need to kind of land a little bit as well. It says, but once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. Of course you are. You're an outdoorsman. You are hunting. You are gaming. You are doing all these things, and it's not like you just have, you know, things, everything is easy. It's not like the animal says, okay, shoot me. I won't move. You know, you got to move around, right? So his hunting, and he was vastly exhausted, and Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of your red stew, for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Okay, does that look premeditated, or does that look like he just thought of that in that moment? 
I bet you he knew exactly when his older brother was going to show up from his amazing expedition of game and hunting. He was cooking. The smell is out there. He makes it seem like it's red, meaning there might be some kind of meat in that stew. And he knows that after you have like, been outdoors, you're very, very hungry. Like Even when you go on a hiking trip, you're very, very hungry. So we understand that. So he's using that to his advantage. He's got the aroma of the stew that's going on. You can visibly see it. And Esau says, can I have some of that stew? I think what Jacob should have said was, yeah, of course. Older brother, I mean, we're family. You don't, I don't, I don't have to, you know, we don't have to like have a transaction here. What is mine is yours. But Jacob had a very premeditated offer. He said, Sell me your birthright now. Sell me your birthright now. Now, why is that important? Because back in those days, the birthright was held in special esteem in Israel. There was special privilege during his lifetime. The firstborn would receive the father's blessing and strength, would be dedicated to God, receive double share of the father's property, and all these advantages Esau enjoyed because he was the firstborn, and he was now invited to sell for a bowl of stew. Now look what he says. I'm about to die. Of what use is my birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. Like what he actually promised wasn't even true. It was lentil soup. I don't, I, you know, everyone has their own preference. But if I, if I have a choice between any kind of soup, I'm not going to be choosing lentil soup. Come on. <laughs> I, would, I would rather eat chili. You know, like there's a little bit of beans and meat. And, and you feel really good about yourself. It's very watery, I think. But you might, you might like it, and, and no judgment on you. But for me, it's like, even that, it's like, man, you didn't even promise what you were actually offering to me. I thought it was going to be red stew, but it's like lentil soup with probably a little bit of bread. But he was so hungry, he was so tired that he let that physical limitation get the best of him. What does that mean? Maybe I'm kind of reaching here, but I also think that the, the greatest times of spiritual temptation happens when we're physically tired. That when we're physically manifesting all these kinds of like hunger or whatever. It also happens when you have most recently experienced success. You almost say to yourself, well, I deserve it. It's okay. I'm going to dip into the instant gratification now. I won't even think about what happens later. I want it now. That's what Esau is doing. A lot of us, we fall into our traps and our habitual sins and the sins that manifest because in that moment, we are physically tired, our physical desires gets the best of us, and we latch onto that, we cling onto it, and we say yes to those things. Now, what we here see is this. Esau is now trading the temporary gratification, and he is foregoing what the future might take place. What are some things that you are selling yourself for temporary gratification, trading long-term blessings and goods to appease 
something as simple as hunger. Now, for us Americans, hunger comes at a different level. For certain countries, hunger is an epidemic. It's a real serious problem. But for us, it's not. We know in some way, shape, or form, if you are in some way financially stable, you know when your next meal is coming. But imagine trading your future blessing that God has in store for you to appease some kind of physical desire, utterance, just so that you can take care of that now. Of what value to me, he says, is the right of my firstborn when I'm hungry. Who cares about that? That's what he's saying. And Jacob says to his older brother, swear to me at once. He's cold and calculating. Give it all up for lentil soup. It wasn't even what he promised. Jacob is sly while Esau is foolish. Would you trade your gift of salvation for something as silly as lentil soup? Would you trade something that is eternal for something that is so temporal? He traded something that is of great value over something so flippant. I wonder if we have done that in our seasons of life. I wonder if we need to not hurry but learn to enjoy the part of our life that requires waiting. G.K. Chesterton once said, one of the greatest disadvantages of hurry is that it takes so long. Sometimes the shortcuts are not shortcuts. It brings us away and veers us away from the path that God has chosen for us. We think that it's going to take long. It's not long. It's about obedience and endurance and obedience in the same direction. What is it that you need to wait on without complaint, with great endurance? You know, I've, I've often meet with a lot of people, and, and they share with me their prayer requests. You know, when you share with me a prayer request, I, I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm invested. I want to see that happen for you, too. Because the prayer requests that you are sharing with me are not sinful in nature. These are good things that I think the Lord also wants to see. But for some of us, he's asking us that there's a season of waiting that we have to partake with joyful countenance. That the season of waiting is maybe a time of maturation in our faith to trust in the totalitarian truth of who God is, that he is a God who is sovereign, who is in full control, and he wants what's best for us because he knows us intimately. What is that? Some of you have shared that you are ready to have a family with. You know, you shared that. Some of you are ready. I'm looking to maybe switch into a different kind of industry, a new job. I'm looking to switch my major. I'm willing to kind of, I'm thinking God is maybe leading me to a different kind of a company. Whatever it might be, it's like waiting is hard, but there's a season of waiting that is actually good for our souls. What is it that you're waiting for? Because a spirituality that we have received without a season of waiting will not sustain us in a time of need. Years ago, and this, this is when I was um, 18. So it's a while back ago. I'm not too old. I'm still, uh, I think I'm very young. And people tell me I'm, I'm young, but I don't look that young. But um, you know, I looked like this when I was in high school. Can you believe it? Yeah. <laughs> 
the joke will be on you in 30 years. I will look the same, and you will all look old. <laughs> well, God showed me a powerful vision when I was about to enter into college. And he said that I would preach and teach and travel the world, not because I was famous, because that I was going to use you to preach the name of God, to preach the Word of God. Now, I actually thought, in my interpretation, that that was going to be like, as I said before, I'm going to be the Asian version of Billy Graham. And I've, I've said it to you before, but Francis Chan took that away from me. You know, I, I'm kidding. He's so much better than I. He should have taken that. But, but what I thought was, what, wow, God, you're promising me this, and I don't even know if I'm capable of doing that. But the part of the waiting has been difficult. Not because I was going to be famous, not because I was going to be traveling all around, but because I didn't know if I fully trusted that that can happen for someone like me in my life. So a season of waiting, it's been 15 years. 14 years. But I still trust that in my lifetime, God will use me, even if it's for one year, that in my season of waiting, when He deems it to be a time where I will release you to do that, that I will do that in faith. And I will enjoy doing that. And I will be in a season where I can fully do it. Now, I don't know if you guys know me and my family. I have five kids right now. I know you're like, wow, you have that many? Yeah. I, we, have, we have five kids. We, we prayed for our third, and we got twins and three and four. And then um, something crazy happened in a good way. We prayed even more, and God said, yeah, we would love for you to adopt. Uh, and, I, and so we said, yes, so we have five. We would, we would consider adopting another one. But I, I said, God, I think that's too much. You know, we, we're happy with a basketball team. We don't need a volleyball team. And so yeah, yeah, so we've been praying for that. But imagine if God said, okay, now is the time, Paul, that you're going to travel and do a lot of these speaking engagements. When you have five kids and you are leaving your wife with five, being responsible for everything in the home. No, I have been traveling, but this is a season where God specifically laid it in my heart. I've never heard his voice, but I do believe in this, that travel will slow down because I need to be home more for my kids, especially my youngest one. Because they need the Father's presence. See, imagine if I wanted to really, really temporarily satisfy the things that he has given to me by taking matters into my own hands and said, well, I'm going to do it now. I'm going to call people. I'm going to ask them. I have something worthwhile to say, and I do all of this. In the meanwhile, I might be enjoying all the things that I'm doing outside of the home, but my home is not in a safe place. You see, God is saying there's a season of waiting, but there's a season of unleashing. And he's going to release us to do that. We have to trust that he is sovereign and in full control. Church, don't dip in now and forego your future full blessing. Don't dip in now. Don't take that instant gratification now. Just say you want the full and you are willing to wait. Because when we dip in now, we are saying, I'm walking away from my relationship with you. I want to take matters into my own hands. When we say we will not dip in now, we will say yes to the future. We are saying, I trust in you, and I'm going to walk with you intimately. Church, a spirituality that we have received without a season of waiting will not sustain us in a time of need. I pray that this week would be a week of waiting upon the Lord. 
And even though that is difficult, you will see the mighty hand of God who is in full control over all detail, aspects, and significant things that are part of our life. I pray that he will release that for you soon, but in his own right timing. Let's pray. Uh, gracious God, we are uh, so, so uh, delighted with your words. As we meditated together on Genesis 25, there's a season of waiting. There's, there's that long obedience in the same direction, which is persistence and perseverance. And we're waiting on something now. Some of us are waiting for certain things that God has laid on our hearts years ago. Some of us are waiting on things that God recently, freshly placed on our life and to our family. But Lord, we want to take a different look at the form of waiting. Waiting and being patient is waiting for the exact proper time. That when we are fully ready to receive it. So Lord, give all the people here more patience. The gift of waiting upon the Lord. And to fully trust that God is sovereign and in control. I pray this week we would not dip into the temporal satisfactions. And let go of the future blessing that is in store for us. We just want to tr uh, trust in this amazing God who sees us as his children. That you have the best things in place for us. So Lord, thank you. And I pray for those who are waiting on very, very big, big things. Some of them are ready to maybe give up. Some are very flustered. Some are very angry and doubting, confused. But Lord, if what you have promised is true, you will see it from generation to generation. We trust in you, Lord God. It's in Jesus' name we pray.